0: We started a series last week on parenting, and so today we're going to kind of continue that. Probably for the next three or four weeks, we're going to look at parenting. And today we're talking about a strategy for raising godly kids in a not-so-godly world. And you might think, and we talked about it a little bit last week, oh, it's it's never been worse than this, and this is the worst it's ever been, and it really isn't the worst it's ever been. It wasn't that great when I was a kid. The difference between when I was a kid and today is that we did really stupid things. We just didn't have... Phones that would video it, and so today you have phones that video all the insanity, and, and that's part of the difference. But we did dumb things too. And I grew up with the Brady Bunch, and and Mike, and what is it? Carol? Mike and Carol, uh, they polyester parented, and everything worked out. And um, uh, little quiz for let, oh, let me get my let me get my pointer. That's Carol. She's got the flippy hair back there. On a guy, that's called a mullet. Do you know what that's called on a girl? A shag, that's right. That's right, good for you. It has nothing to do with the Bible. Okay, all right, so um, we're talking about parenting as a process today, and we're going to really look at this. these parents. Their names are Amram and Jochebed, and they're not famous really to us, but they had three kids, and you may have heard of them. Uh, one's name was Aaron, one's name was Miriam, and one's name was Moses. And so these parents, Amram and Jacobed, have two or three, they have three kids that make the Bible and are pretty prominent, and they did a pretty good job of raising their kids. And so we're going to kind of look at what did they do and what can we do and what can we learn from um, what they did. And our verse, sort of our launching verse every week is this Proverbs 22 text. I like the way the message puts it because it says, point your kids in the right direction and when they're old, they won't. Be lost, and we talked about it last week. Let's talk about just for a second today. We do our best as parents to raise our kids to love God, and then our 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 kids have free choice. They have a free will, and so we do our best, and we release them, and they they choose. And so there's no guarantees of how our kids are going to turn out, but there is an obligation on our part to do our best to make sure that we do what this says that we point our kids in the right direction. So when you go home today, you're going to go outside and you're going to get in your car and you're going to get on Wade Hampton. You have to. There's really no other way to get out of here. And you're going to point your car in a direction, but I doubt seriously if you're going to point it and not have to repoint it. Because I'm going to point it to the right and then when I get down to uh, Reed School Road, I'm going to have to turn to the right and then I'm going to have to go around some curves. You point and then you continue to point, and that's sort of the point of this text, that not only do you point your kids in the right direction, you continuously point your kids in the right direction, I brought an illustration because I think this might make some sense to you guys. Um, none, of, no man is going to know what this is. This is a clothes hamper. We just drop our clothes on the floor, but uh, this is this is where you uh, uh, that's where you're supposed to put your clothes. And what I've noticed about this, it sits in our closet, and sometimes I'll go in there and it's this full, and sometimes it's really full, and sometimes it's empty. And now. Does anybody feel guilty for putting the first, anybody else? Because I feel guilty for putting the first thing in. I really feel bad about it. And so I'll just hide it until uh, something else is in there and then I'll throw something in there. Okay. The one thing about laundry is this. And I I don't know a lot about laundry. Um, I've done laundry (laughs) in college. Uh, So uh, uh, I I don't know much about it. But what I have discovered is this. Um, You can do laundry today and by Thursday, you have to do laundry again. It like never stops. It's like the blob. You remember that movie? It just never quit. Parenting is a process, and you never stop. And just like the clothes hamper, it's just it just just something to do. It seems all the time. Oh, so we're gonna look at these parents, and we're gonna see what to do. How to parent now. We think our world today, and there's a lot of information out there, we think our world today is kind of messed up a little bit. Uh, Maybe America we think is a little kind of wacky and and things aren't going the way we think they ought to go sometimes. Amram and Jochebed lived in a time where they were Jewish and they lived in a foreign country. They lived in Egypt. Uh, They had gone there on their own, The, the Jews had, but while they were there they had become enslaved. And so you're talking about slave parents in a culture that's not their own. The Pharaoh was in charge of all things. And he made edicts and he made law and there was no no voting. What Pharaoh said was, was the gospel. That's how it worked. And Pharaoh got in his mind that he didn't want the Hebrew boys, the little Jewish boys, to live. And so his order was that Hebrew baby boys were taken to the Nile and thrown into the river and the crocodiles, uh, for the crocodiles to eat. Now, we have tough things going on in our society, but that's really, really tough. And that's the environment that Amram and Jochebed find themselves as parents. And so we think, wow, it's tough today to be a parent. Yeah, it is tough today to be a parent. And Amram and Jochebed, it was tough to be a parent then too. So let's talk about their strategy. What did they do to raise godly kids in a not-so-godly world? Well, the first thing is you have to be unified as parents. Really important, by the way, super important. Moses' parents hid him for three months, it says in Hebrews, and after he was born um, because they saw he was no ordinary child. And you're probably going to go, well, duh, who wouldn't decide to not throw their children into the Nile? Well, understand something. This is the only recorded incident of this that ever worked so maybe everybody else had the idea, but nobody else did it. Or if they did it, they, didn't, they weren't successful at it. If you as a parent decided not to obey the law, then when they found your child, which they were going to find your child, because here's the thing about kids, little babies, they have a tendency to cry and folks find out. And if Moses had been found out, not only would Moses have been thrown into the Nile, but so would his parents, orphaning, at least orphaning the other two kids. If not, those two kids would have been executed as well. This was risky, and they decided together that this was what they were going to do. Parenting has to be united. This becomes quite difficult uh, in divorce situations or in stepfamily situations, but it's tough in every situation. And so... What you have to do here's what little, kids are brilliant. They have a little thing. They have a little mechanism in their minds. It's called divide and conquer. Divide and conquer, and so uh, they'll. Uh, my girls used to come to me and they would say, uh, "Can I do? Can I do this? Can I do this, Daddy?" Sarah's doing it. It's like I don't know Sarah. I don't care. But uh, so uh, my my question to my kids was always, "Well, what does what does your mom said? Because. I wanted them to know we were unified now occasionally it doesn't happen very often, but occasionally Miriam and I would would disagree on something we never never disagreed in front of the kids. We would go someplace and then Miriam would explain why she was right, and I was wrong, and that worked out for us and uh and it's like, okay now I get it, i get it, I get it, but it makes some sense to decide hey we're going to decide you know bedtime bedtime is going to be this time and and so this is the time, and you set that and and for us it was like. They can start wearing makeup. Our girls can start wearing makeup at this age. And they can get their ears pierced at this age. And, and we're not going to let them go spend the night with somebody unless we know them really, really well. Because we're just not going to do that. And they can date at this age. I would suggest over my dead body years old. That was, that was really always my idea. Uh, just, but you have to be united as parents. This is how we're going to raise our kids so you gotta be united. Naam Ram and Jacobed were united. The second thing is you have to be perceptive about your child's potential. The problem is it's really difficult to be objective, especially when you put like your longing in there. Because you might want something for them that they really aren't kind of bent that direction. That's not the way they were they were designed. Look what it says about Jacobed. She became pregnant, had a son. And she saw; they saw that there was something special about him. And, and again, you're going to go, well, every parent says that about every child. And I know my mom did. Uh, again, I weighed 10 pounds and 11 ounces. The thing that was special was it was like uh, delivering a, a baby water buffalo. Uh, so I, I get uh, that that was tough. But you have to be perceptive about your child's interests. How are they wired? What are they going to be good at? Um, are they athletic or are they artistic or are they mechanical? And and so I need to observe what they are. There's a cool verse. Let me let me go back to this. Uh, in, in Psalm 127, it says, Children born to a young man are like a sharp arrow, like sharp arrows in a warrior's hand. It's a, it's a really cool picture because an arrow will go where you shoot it. It won't go anyplace else. You have to point it. You have to aim it. And part of the obligation as a parent is to make sure we study our children so that we know where to point them. Um, t- too often we sort of get in our mind early on that they have to be something. right? They, uh, he's going to be, and Dad sometimes, he's going to be a football player. You know how many people actually make the NFL? Hardly any. You know how many people actually make the NBA? I lived in, in Muskegon and it was it's, there's sort of hockey people up there. Anybody hockey people down here? No, because it's stupid. Uh, anyway, um, there were kind of hockey people up there. And, um, and we had this one kid in our church who got, like, got to the B League of the hockey. I mean, he's really, really good. And he still never made it to the NFL, or NHL. It's difficult. We, we sort of have these dreams. Uh, you know, my daughter's going to win. America's got talent. Well, no, she's not because my kid is. I mean, it's kind of how it works. So we we sort of are competitive about this. But what if that's not what our children, what God has designed them to be? You have to figure out what God has designed them to be. So you watch them and, and you show them, hey, this is what it's like to live out God's purpose in my life. And that's what you want for your life. And God's purpose for my life probably isn't going to be God's purpose for your life. And they should watch you, and you need to watch them. And I I love this little picture, this little story. A girl went to school, and she said she wanted to be like her mom when she grew up. So the mother decided to write a letter to her teacher Dear Mrs. Jones, I want to clarify that I am not now nor have I ever been an exotic dancer. Look at the picture. I work at Home Depot, and I told my daughter how hectic it was last winter before the blizzard hit. I told her that we sold every single shovel we had, and then I found one more in the back room, and several people were fighting over who would get it. Her picture doesn't show me dancing around a pole. It's supposed to depict me selling the last shovel we had at Home Depot. Yes. From now on, I will check her homework more carefully. That, that's really important. I love the story. There's a, a painter by the name of Benjamin West. Benjamin West, and he, I believe he lived in the late 1700s, early 1800s. He painted historic figures, um, presidents and those sorts of things, and was a great artist. Well, he tells the story of when he knew he was going to be an artist. He was young, 8, 9, 10 years old, something like that, and his sister Sally was babysitting him while his mom was away. And while the mom was out and Sally was preoccupied with something else, he got out some paper at the kitchen table, and he found some paint, and he began to paint. And he was trying to paint a portrait of Sally, and he, got a, he made a mess on everything. Just everything, paint was everywhere. And he tells the story that when his mom came home, instead of blowing up and getting upset, she looked at the picture and she said, Oh, Benjamin... That's supposed to be Sally, isn't it? And then he says this. And then she kissed me on my forehead, and that kiss made me a painter. She affirmed what she saw in her son. And so another way to translate this, the amplified version says, train up a child in the way he should go in keeping with his or her individual gifting or bent. And so we decide, oh, hey, um, our kids should be go to college. Well, maybe your kid doesn't need to be in college. You know what we really need in the world today? We need some honest people doing honest work in all fields. We need an honest mechanic every now and then. You know, what do you do when, when your car breaks? My girl's my older girls still call me when they have things that go wrong with their cars. They don't live here. I've got one that lives in Muskegon, Michigan. I've got one that lives in Mason, Ohio. And I've got one that lives in Knoxville. And they still call me when something goes wrong with their car. And I got a call yesterday from my oldest daughter. She had hit a raccoon and had knocked the grill out of her car. And, and, and I don't know what to, where to tell her to go. I don't know people in Mason, Ohio. I don't know. My daughter, Mallory, she called me last week. Mallory, Mallory called and she said, Daddy, my car is making a noise. I'm going to drive and hold my phone out the window and I want you to tell me if you can figure out what it is. We need honest, godly people in all fields. We need honest mechanics and we need honest builders and, and honest people who do HVAC work and we need honest people... And so, just because you have a notion around what your child, you want your child to be, that doesn't necessarily mean it goes with the way God has designed them. I have a good friend back in Kentucky. I saw him a few, de- a few weeks ago. And um, he, um, he had been a football player, quite a good football player in high school. And I said, man, how's your, is your son into football? And he said, no, he's, he's really not into to sports too much. He likes to golf, and he likes, which <laughs> golf is obviously not a sport. Uh, he likes to golf, he likes to fish, he likes to hunt. And he said, that's cool with me because I like that he's outside. And I liked the dad's attitude because it was, you know, he's not following particularly in my footsteps, but he's making his own path. We've got to help our kids understand to make their own path. As long as it's a godly path and an honest path, it's a good path. Help them find their path. The third thing is we have to combat the pressures of the world. Our kids are constantly bombarded, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, messages about what's right and wrong, and what people are telling them is right and wrong, and they get it at school, and they get it on the internet, and they get it at, you know, wherever they go. They, they get messages all the time. And we have this. We have a responsibility as parents to tell them the truth, to give them a godly perspective, to tell them this is the way the Lord sees things. We have a responsibility to do that. I, I, I think this next text sort of serves as a metaphor. When, when uh, Jacobed could no longer hide um, Moses, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch so it wouldn't sink. And then she placed the child in it and put it along the reeds uh, along the bank of the Nile. She devised a plan. Pharaoh was executing the Hebrew baby boys, and so this was a plan. And her plan was, my strategy is I'm going to float him down the Nile, and hopefully somebody will find him. And, and we have to have a plan because this is what I know about the world 1 Peter says, be alert, be on the watch. Your enemy, the devil, ro- roams around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I like to watch those nature shows like National Geographic Channel, that kind of thing. And I've watched enough of them to know that alpha predators, lions and, and cougars and things like that, they go after the weak I mean, why would you expend a ton of energy um, chasing a a male who can outrun you or can run and can fight when I can go after the weak ones? They just choose the weak. They pick off the weak ones. They pick off the ones at the back. They pick off the elderly. They they pick off the babies. And I mean, it's a great verse. The devil roams around like a roaring lion. He he is picking off the young ones. And we have to protect. We have an obligation to protect. A fourth thing, a fourth part of this strategy is we have to take teachable moments. Look at this verse, these verses from Deuteronomy, Old Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today, God is giving them to his people, are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road when you lie down and when you get up one of the things that we've always done at our home is we don't allow phones at the table and even when our girls come home today and they're 26 and 24 and 22 they know not to bring their phones because we're going to have a conversation and this is the time where we're going to talk because the Bible tells us that we are to sit together and talk together and share life together and talk about things. And so when we're looking at things and at least my 13-year-old is in the room and when we see something that comes on television or when something, we experience something in life, we talk to her about it. Listen, this is, this is what you're hearing, but this is what God says and it's not always the same. We have that responsibility and it is a great responsibility to lay a foundation for our kids that they will know the difference between right and wrong, what God would have them do, and everything else. We have this really, really daunting responsibility. In fact, parenting isn't for the weak, and it is a process, and it takes time. And just like the laundry, it keeps, just keep doing it. You have to just keep doing it. So if we take this responsibility seriously, what do we do? How do we do it? Well, the first thing I would say is you have to have a spiritual walk yourself. You can't hand off what you don't have. And so your kids should see you going to church they should, and you taking them to church. They should, they should see you reading your Bible. They should see you praying and you pray with them. They should see you serving somebody else. One of the greatest things about my dad, and I love my dad. My dad's been dead quite a while now, 19 years, I think. I love my dad. He was a hero to me. Um, My dad was, my dad grew up real poor. I mean, real poor. My mama grew up real poor. My daddy quit school. My daddy quit school as a sophomore in high school because the only thing he had to wear were bib overalls. People made fun of him. He later got his GED, but he dropped out because he, he was bullied. He was smart, just didn't have any money. There's one thing I learned from my dad, many things I learned. One of the things I learned from my dad is that if you can help somebody, you help them. My daddy was wildly generous. I saw him go help people do things. I saw him lend his stuff to people. I saw him hundreds of times hand people cash when they needed a hand up, and they need a little help. There used to be a commercial for um, a a, a towel, um, um, a paper towel. And the slogan was, it's the quicker picker-upper. And I think about my faith like this. I want to spill my faith in front of my kids so they absorb it. I want them to see it, and I want it, it to become part of what they do. So we we have to have a spiritual walk ourselves, and then we have to monitor what they w- watch and listen to. The Bible tells us this in the 101st Psalm, I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. I had a conversation when I first became a pastor um, with a, a young girl, and she was listening to a notorious, um, a, a, um, an artist, a, a singer that was notoriously had inappropriate lyrics. Just, I mean, everybody knew it. And I was talking to her about it, and and so, in the conversation, I said, you know, I think I'm going to start listening to him. And she was like, oh, pastor, you don't want to listen to him. You don't to listen to him. It's like, well, why not? Well, you're a pastor. <laughs> and I, I saw her face. I saw it, and she was like, oh, oh, he got me. That's, that's not right. You're, you're old. You shouldn't do that. And, uh, uh, and I said, so if it's not appropriate for me, then why is it appropriate for you? But she had no answer to that. My responsibility as a pastor now is to help people. and That's that's my job. But as a dad, my responsibility is, are my kids. Kids will say stuff like, well, so-and-so's doing it, or everybody everybody's doing it. It's like, everybody ain't doing it because you're not doing it. You're part of everybody, so you're, not everybody's doing it. We're not responsible for everybody's children, ultimately. I am responsible for my kids. You're responsible for your kids. And so when, when our girls used to say, everybody's doing it, we would say, well, not everybody, because you're not going to do it. And it's okay to say no to them. Just because somebody else is doing it doesn't mean that you get to do it. My girls knew what they could watch and couldn't watch. They, they kind of knew that. And so I, I remember phone calls from my girls, and they would be at somebody's house, and they would say, Daddy, they're about to watch this, and I don't think you want us to watch that. And I said, no, I really don't. And they would say, well, can you come get us? Can you come get me? Yeah, we can come get you because we're going to monitor and we're going to supervise who they can hang out with. And my dad quoted this verse to me at least 7,000 times growing up. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And our girls have always known and Elise knows that if you ever get to a place that you're uncomfortable, you call us no matter the hour. 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning, none of it matters to us. Our phone will be on. It will be by our bed, and you call us, and we will come get you. We, we will be the bad guy. I'll bang on the door till you come to the door, and, I, and I'll take it all on me. But you've got to get out of jail free card, because if you're ever uncomfortable, we will come get you, because we've got to guard our children. There's his dad in Kentucky. He was trying to teach his son the the uh, the perils of drinking, and so he he sat his boy down on the kitchen table and he had a glass of water and a glass of whiskey. That's how I know it's a Kentucky dad. And um, he had two worms and he dropped one worm in the water and one worm in the whiskey. And it didn't take long before the worm in the whiskey died and the worm in the water uh, thrived and succeeded and lived. And so the daddy looked at his son and said, son, what does this teach you? And the boy said, well, daddy, it seems to me if you drink whiskey, you don't get worms. And so it wasn't exactly, wasn't exactly the message he was trying to send. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but we have to supervise who they hang out with. Also, we've got to fill your children, your child, with God's Word early on. Listen to this statistic. It is amazing to me. 85% of your child's personality is formed by the time they're 7 years old. Now, the reason this verse is important, that Pharaoh's daughter said to Moses' mom, Jochebed, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you, Pharaoh's daughter finds this baby in a basket among the wreaths of the Nile River. And so she chooses to adopt this child. This child is going to be mine. It's going to be Pharaoh's grandson. But she needed somebody to nurse this child. And so Jochebed took her own child to to her own home to, to nurse this baby. Now, that usually doesn't take a ton of time. However, many scholars believe that um, Moses may have stayed in the home uh, long past the time he was weaned, maybe until he was seven years old, some say up to 12. And so Jochebed and Amram had these early years to tell their son about the God of Israel, about the God of of. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob of uh, the God of of all things, the God of creation, uh, the way things really are, and they had this these early years to 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 pour in to Moses, and we've got to do that too. We've got to pour into our children the idea that that God is real and that God is the creator, that He loves us and that He cares about us. And we've got to take the advantage, take advantage of the time God gives us early on, especially. And if we have to put down our phones or turn off the television, then that is what we should do. Last week we talked about this one. We make our home marriage centered and not child centered. Super important to your kids to know that they're not the center of your universe. Children are a blessed, blessed gift from God. But the home is husband and wife. And just to be real honest with you, Statistics say that parents on average spend a little, about 200, it says, I've got the number, $223,610 raising a kid. $223,000 for a kid that when they turn 14 will not want to be seen with you in public. Think about it. There's got to be more than just child-centered parenting. You you have to show them, look... uh, I love your mom. That This is our home. We love you. Uh, b- but we are the center of the home. Marriage-centric. You have to accept your responsibility. One of the most disheartening trends is when people want their children to be their, their friends, their little children to be their friends. I understand that happens when you get older, but not so much when they're young. You need to guide. The Bible tells us it's clear. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is right it says to parents, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. You have a responsibility to lead. Don't abdicate your responsibility. We all have people in authority over us. It's good to learn that there are people in authority over us. It's just good to learn. We have bosses in authority over us, or we have police officers in authority over us, or you know, where we, uh, if you're at school, you have a principal or a teacher. There are folks that have authority over us, and we need to understand that. It's good to teach that. At the proper time, you release your children. Now, I want you to think about this. Let me let me show you a verse. Moses' sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. So, Jochebed makes this basket, lines it with tar and pitch, puts it in the Nile. Then his sister, Moses's sister, asks Pharaoh's daughter, once she finds this... This little boat with a little baby in it. Shall I go get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Many people, many scholars believe that when uh, her name was Miriam, the sister's name, was, by the way, it was Miriam. Many scholars believe that Miriam was probably eight to twelve years old when she was given this assignment. Her assignment was go and make sure your brother doesn't get eaten by a crocodile. That's basically her assignment. How many of you give that assignment? Would give that assignment to an eight-year-old, or a ten-year-old, or a twelve-year-old? we have to give our children these these big assignments it's part of releasing them you can do this you can you can live on your own you can be your own person james dobson did a survey of 2000 adults uh, married people and asked them what's one of the biggest problems that you have in your marriage and 44% said my par- our parents won't let go they want to continue to tell us how to live our lives yet jesus said for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. When I first became a pastor, my first church was in Bergen, Kentucky, which was about eight miles from my mom and dad. After a while, my mom and dad migrated to our church. By the way, it is great to get to preach to your parents because they preach to you. And so uh, uh, I loved that part of it. I loved it. And So for a couple of years, they were... They were part of my church, and we had kids while we were there. And so uh, Amaris was seven, and Mallory was five, and Janelle was three. And God called us to move to New Mexico. That's a long way from Kentucky. It's exactly 1,252 miles, according to my dad, because he told me, you've moved these babies 1,252 miles away. My mom told me a couple years ago, I really had never known this, That when we told them we were moving, they couldn't look at each other without crying. We're taking those grandbabies away. He could not have cared less that I was leaving, but he he really cared about those grandbabies. But you know what my parents never did? They never did this. They never made me feel guilty for following God's lead in my life. I mean, they could have. One time I called and I said, Daddy, I don't think we're going to get to come home for Christmas. And he could have easily said, well, that's okay. I just hope we're around next Christmas. I mean, you can say that kind of stuff. You can guilt people into things. But he didn't. I, I, I respect them so much for how they treated us, Miriam and me and my family. They let us be a family. They let us be our family. They knew what to do for us. They knew how to release us. We have to learn to pray for our kids. The Bible tells us that the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power. A couple things I think you should pray for. Pray that you have wisdom to raise them and pray that they learn to love God more than they love you. The one thing I want for all of my daughters is for them to love God more than they love me or their mother. I want them to learn to love God deeply. And lastly, you continue to love them no matter what. The Bible tells us that above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. I suspect Moses' parents were disappointed in him at times. At 40, Moses let his anger get the best of him and he killed someone. He immediately had to go into hiding and he ran to another country. And I would suspect that Amram and Jochebed died with Moses in exile, self-exiled, someplace and never saw him again. He probably broke their hearts. Miriam and Aaron weren't great either. They were jealous of their brother Moses and his success. Amram and Jochebed were great parents who had really powerful kids, but they weren't perfect. And you can be a great parent and you can have really great kids, but they won't be perfect. I know this in my life. I've had prodigal seasons where I've walked away from God and 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 walking away from God, I sort of thumb my nose at the faith of my parents. I've done that. I know what that feels like. You probably do too. You may have been on the receiving end of that or you may be the prodigal. Here's what I never doubted about my mom and my dad. I never doubted that they loved me. And when I walked away from their faith, they loved me and when I came back, they welcomed me back. And you as a parent, you love your children, whether they walk away from your faith or not. And it's a lot easier when they're repentant because you can welcome them back in. If they're not repentant, then you love from a distance, but you continue to love. Parenting is really hard because it involves your heart. It's very difficult. Because it takes, it is a process, and it, it feels like it's never going to end. And you want to know what? It never ends. My 86-year-old mother is still giving me advice on things. This last week, she said, it's none of my business, but it's like, oh my gosh, Okay. <laughs> Bless her heart. But here's what I know about my parents. They always love me. Never doubted it. When I was in the middle of sin, I never doubted it. I knew I was disappointing them, but I never doubted their love. The question we're going to end with today is, are we going to make the effort to continue to point our children to the Lord? Are we going to, when the basket gets full, do the laundry? Every time, do the laundry. Keep doing the laundry. Are we going to keep pointing them toward Jesus? Because that's our responsibility and our calling as godly parents. Keep pointing them to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being a parent. We ask, Lord, that you would guide us in that process and help us to be great parents. Help us to be more than that, godly parents. Help us to serve you well. And we pray that if our children are out there as prodigals, that you would draw them back unto yourself. I don't have a question in my mind, Lord, right now that we have parents in here who have prodigal kids and I pray for them. That you give them strength and courage, a sense of peace. For those of us who are younger parents, for those who are on the front end of this journey, I pray, God, that you would bless and keep them energized to continue to point their children toward Jesus continue to point their kids toward the Lord. We pray this as humbly as we know how today. In the name of Christ, amen.